G'day, and welcome to the AHDC podcast series, Health Design on the Go. I'm your host, David Cummins, and today we're speaking to Adjoint Professor Warren Kerr, AM. For over 21 years, Warren has been the National Director of the Health Portfolio for National Architecture and Planning Practice, Hames Charlie. Although he has been a supporter of the AHDC since its inception, he has only been an active member of the AHDC National Committee for the past five years. Welcome, Warren. Thank you for your time to be here. You have had a very interesting career over the last 20 plus years. And for anyone who has anything to do with health design in Australia for the last 20 years, whether it be locally over in Tasmania or Brisbane or Perth, everyone has heard the name Warren Kerr. You've obviously made quite a big impact into the world of health design. Where did that passion come from? Well, I've always wanted to be an architect since I was about 10 years old, but my career direction was set when I won a Commonwealth cadetship during my architectural studies at the University of Western Australia. My specialisation in the planning and design of hospitals commenced early in my architectural career when I was invited to design an outpatients clinic for a repatriation hospital and then major extensions, including wards and theatres. One of the outcomes of winning a Commonwealth cadetship is that you're then bonded to work for the Commonwealth Government for five years, given that the course length for architecture is five years. This meant that when I graduated, I had a position within the Commonwealth Department of Works in Perth, and as luck would have it, I was assigned to the hospital's design group who were then looking at the redevelopment of the repatriation general hospital at Hollywood in Western Australia. After doing that for a few years, I was then promoted to a specialist hospital design group in Canberra, where I had the opportunity to work with some of the best architects in the world in healthcare planning. This time in Canberra also resulted in my lifetime interest in not only architectural practice, but also in research and advocacy. I ended up becoming interested in research because I was assigned to the National Hospital and Health Services Commission, which had then been set up in Canberra under the leadership of Dr. Sidney Sachs, who was one of the preeminent exponents of health planning in Australia. Sid was the person who basically created the health planning profession in Australia. I also became involved in SE through the Institute of Architects. This started quite simply by me going along to an Institute of Architects meeting and suggesting that there were a number of aspects that the Institute could undertake on behalf of architects and then being asked to join a committee. And that resulted in me getting actively involved. After working in Canberra in this field for a few years, I came to understand that I needed greater specialisation in my career and that led me to undertake a Masters of Health Administration at the then preeminent school in Australia, the University of New South Wales. So on the basis of having those skills and that knowledge, I was very interested then to pursue my career in this field. That is a lot to take on board and I can't wait for over the next half hour to unpack a lot of that. What year did you finish your architecture degree? I graduated in architecture in 1974 and then commenced with the Commonwealth Department of Works in that year. And after spending a couple of years in Perth, then went to Canberra, where I ended up specialising in 
that area and that special group in Canberra was doing projects all around Australia and including the Northern Territory, the Australian Capital Territory and any overseas aid projects that involved hospital design as well. Even more recently, I'm actually doing a lot of research myself on health design in Australia and still as a profession, they say it's actually one of the least researched professions in the world, especially when you compare it to medicine to sports, to physiotherapy, to dentistry, to any other health profession, it's actually one of the least researched professions, although that does seem to be changing dramatically. So back in the 1970s and 80s, how did you know what was best practice? Was it through user groups, through conversations? Because there was very limited research back then. Absolutely. And it's an unfortunate aspect, but you're quite correct that the architectural profession is way down on the the research scales. Because of my interest in research, I've also become involved in university education and research. And as you mentioned earlier, I'm an adjunct professor at the University of Western Australia, have been a visiting professor at the University of New South Wales. During my period there, I worked with Jane Carthy to set up the Centre for Health Assets Australasia, which was the first national research centre ever devoted to hospital planning and design in Australia. And that existed from the 1st of January 2005 through to the 30th of December 2010 and made a huge inroad in setting up uh, research protocols for the hospital planning and design sector and also resulted in the creation of the Australasian Health Facility Guidelines. Yeah, and we thank you for that. And even then, in the early 2000s, the research was so limited, especially in today's world and comparable to what is best practice and what helps improve patient care through better design. Absolutely. And one of the main highlights for my career has been working with Professor Roger Ulrich on the $2 billion Fiona Stanley Hospital Project. Roger is one of the world's preeminent authorities on evidence-based design in healthcare design, and he introduced me to Kirk Hamilton, who was a colleague of his at Texas A&M University in the United States. And together we've been working on research projects and looking at how best we can utilise the results of their research in Australian conditions. So getting back to the 1970s and 80s, how did you design buildings back then? Was it based on a commercial decision or was it based on patient care? Was it based on what you thought might work? Was it a lot of trial and error? What was the evidence to support the design back then? One of the benefits that I've had in my career is that when I was selected for this specialist hospital design group, one of the preeminent architects in the Department of Housing and Works, as it was then known, responsible for hospital design, had set up the hospital architect training scheme. And that took architects who are interested in this field out of their day-to-day designing role for 18 months to two years and put us into hospitals so that we could actually work in all the various departments of a hospital. So I had the opportunity to work in the operating theatres, in the neonatal intensive care unit, in all the various different sectors and gain an understanding of how each of those departments within a hospital actually operates, where the scout nurse goes in an operating theatre, how the CSSD operates, what are the key aspects in terms of 
food service delivery, etc. And that gave me a great understanding, basically empirical research, so that when I went back to designing hospitals, I had that hands-on experience and therefore knew what was required in each of the areas and more importantly knew what I didn't know and therefore when to ask questions about options that would need to be considered in formulating a design for a hospital. There are so many amazing things that you just said then. The fact that you as an architect have the self-awareness of knowing what you do and don't know, especially knowing, especially in a health project, that not everyone knows everything. It very much is a team effort, which is what I love about health because I know what I don't know and I also know where to find the answer. But I do find sometimes in the health profession, you get certain stakeholders who pretend they know everything. And I think that's where sometimes some complications arise with health projects. But if you have a good team that is able to be listened to, listen, ask questions and work together, that that really is the definition of success in a good project. Absolutely. And certainly early in my career, I discovered that many of my clients didn't have a good understanding of the design and planning process, but they also didn't have an understanding of how to design healthcare systems to provide me with a proper brief so that I could give them the best design for that. And therefore, that was the reason I took the decision to undertake a master's degree in health administration so that I would understand from their point of view how hospitals operate how the key issues that they would be looking at and how best to incorporate those in the design. One of the aspects that came out of that was a change in my design philosophy. Up till that point, I had thought that I would be best designing the best building for a group of practitioners to then undertake the delivery of healthcare services. But after that, I decided that I would be best off designing the healthcare system in conjunction with my clients. And then the building is part of the enabling factors for that, just like a scalpel in a surgeon's hands is part of the enabling factor to enable them to deliver their services. So rather than the building being the preeminent task, it was the design and delivery of the healthcare system and how that could be best undertaken. Yeah, I 100% agree. And you touched briefly there about research and, and this is actually the start of our AHDC podcast series on the research series. So it's a great honor to be asking you all these questions, but how important do you think research is for health design? It seems now through my research that journal articles and we've got the year of health design at the moment, it seems like Australia, if not the world, is maybe 20, 30 years behind where you were in the 1970s, 1980s. And it's only now where good research, good innovation is coming through that does actually have that clinical support for patient care. I think research is absolutely vital. And as I said earlier, one of the outcomes of setting up the Centre for Health Assets Australasia, which was the first national research group established in Australia to look at this particular field, resulted in the Australasian Health Facility Guidelines. And that has been fundamental in assisting all architects to have similar standards, similar goals, similar opportunities, and a basis from which they can then either enhance or deviate, but according to a known basis. And from my point of view, it is a great outcome that I'm very glad is now being continued. I would like to see a new national centre for health research and through 
the Australian Health Design Council, we're obviously endeavouring to raise the profile of research in this sector of our industry. And I believe it's absolutely fundamental to improve the way that we both design and operate our healthcare facilities. Yeah, I agree. There's actually now a new journal. I think it's called Health Design, which is a very good journal. And there's even now some great books. I think that one of them is called Health for Design. So there's actually all these new books and journals coming out, which have only been in the last four to five years, which again, you know, for someone that's been building hospitals for over 30, 40 years, you're way ahead of the curve. <laughs> well, one of my colleagues I mentioned earlier, Kirk Hamilton, he made the discovery in America that all the various research papers that were being undertaken, and there weren't many, but if it had been designing a physiotherapy department, for instance, it may end up in a journal of physiotherapy. If it was an operating theatre, it may end up in a medical journal or a nursing journal. He therefore decided to set up the Health Environments Research and Design Journal in the United States as the one go-to source for articles on the planning and design of healthcare facilities. And he's still the co-editor of that along with Janelle Stickler, and they have been developing that journal for many years. They kindly invited me to be on their advisory board and heard, as it's known in colloquialism, is a great resource for having all that information in one place and progressing the state of the art in that particular area. Yeah, it's very impressive. Getting back to your personal research, I know you've done a lot of research yourself, but do you mind telling our listeners about some of your personal research and how it's helped improve you as a practitioner and your health design of your projects over the last few decades? Certainly. Very happy to talk about the journey I have in working with people like Roger Ulrich and Kirk Hamilton in evidence-based design, looking at better ways of planning and designing hospitals. We had the opportunity to get Roger Ulrich involved when we were doing the design of the new $2 billion Fiona Stanley Hospital in Perth. And when we received the brief for that hospital, we had a uh, the normal brief at that time in Western Australia, which was a mixture of single rooms, two bedrooms, four bedrooms, etc., which resulted in about 23% of the patients had the opportunity to be in single bedrooms. Roger, on the basis of the research that he'd undertaken in the United States and around the world, suggested that that should be amended. He made a recommendation to our client, the WA state government, that they increased that to 80% of single rooms. They looked at the research that Roger was able to provide and the reductions that he could show in length of stay and having reduced likelihood of disease transmission, etc., and agreed they should proceed with that. So the brief was reformulated and Fiona Stanley Hospital was the first major hospital built in Western Australia, which had primarily single bedrooms. So that's one clear example of for the impact that research has had on our practice as a, uh, in designing major hospital facilities. Yeah, and that's a really, really good example. You personally have done a lot of research yourself over the last few years. What would be some of your favourite teachings from your research? 
There are very specific areas that come out in terms of the relationship between hospital beds and the ensuite facilities that are normally pr- provided in those and they're better described with a drawing and an image so that you can understand what I'm making. But for many, many years, people in hospital design had beds in rooms with the ensuite across the room and similar to many hotel rooms, etc. The research then found that many patients who were trying to get up during the night to utilise the facilities in the ensuite, collapsing between getting out of bed and getting to the ensuite, which dictated that it was far better to have the ensuite facilities near the head of the bed so that you could hop out, grab onto a handrail if you needed it and guide yourself round to the entrance to the ensuite without incurring any falls or slips that may end up with you staying longer in hospital than required. Yeah, that's a really good example of what not to do. Keeping that in mind then, how come some designers and some hospitals still get it wrong today? I think uh, a lot of that is basically on the basis that many practitioners don't have the knowledge and skills and experience that some of the more senior practitioners have. It takes many years to become competent in this field and uh, there's a lot of learning to do because you're looking at bridging both the professions of architecture, health planning, research and hospital operations and with technological change, it's a lot to keep up with. There was a research study some years ago where they put a group of pharmacists in a room, took them away from their day-to-day operations and just asked them to try and keep up with all the latest research that was in the various magazines that were coming out. And after six months or something like four months behind, Yeah, I totally agree. I think there is certainly vast opportunity for people to listen and learn from those that have built and those that are about to build as well. But I do think part of that is the builders as well. There are some amazing builders out there who have built many hospitals and understand health. And there are some who have not done that. And unfortunately, that means sometimes some errors are made, especially with infection control, where a simple thing like a perforated ceiling versus a solid ceiling might be the difference between infection control and impacting some patients or not. So I do think that's why it's such a complicated beast that really is a team effort to try and get it right. Yeah, and I mentioned earlier that one of the other phases of my career I've been quite involved in is the advocacy side of architecture. And through my efforts with the Institute of Architects, I've ended up becoming the WA state president for a number of years, and then the national president of the Institute of Architects. And I, during that period, had some very interesting discussions with architects who believe that they can design any type of building, whereas I've always been a preeminent advocate for the fact that in specialising in health, and it just is so complex and takes so long to learn that the best practitioners are going to be those who specialize in this field. And it's we've had some good discussions over a couple of bottles of red to articulate that point of view, but it's now being, I think, recognized around the world. One of the other honorary roles that I undertake is being Australia's representative on an international forum set up under the auspices of the World Health Organization and the International Union of Architects, where we share information on hospital planning and design between 70 other countries. And that allows me to have an understanding and a perspective on how other professions in other countries of the world 
are pursuing this particular sector and improving their skills in health facility planning and design. Yeah, it's very, very impressive. Keeping in mind your career over the last 30, 40 years? <laughs> Probably getting on to 45, I think. What do you think the future of health design is going to look like in the next 30 to 40 years? I think the major issue is just going to be the speed of change. I mean, when I started in my career, you were often asked to undertake a hospital project, you worked very closely with the clients and over a period of years gave them a new building. And then there was almost a parting of the ways because you then knew that you probably wouldn't be seeing them for another decade or so before they would need to alter any of the buildings, the facilities, etc. that they required. Normally in those days you did a projection of projected need to meet that need that was not just for current need but projected out a number of years in the future. However now you finish a building and within a couple of years the rate of change and technological changes mean that there have been improvements in radiotherapy equipment, in radiology equipment, in the way that investigative surgery is undertaken and therefore the hospital needs to be almost in a constant period of upgrade and evaluation of having the latest information on the latest technology. Many of the larger hospitals in the US and Canada now employ a healthcare architect on their staff just to keep them up to date with what facilities they need and how best to accomplish that within the infrastructure that they have currently. It's very impressive, especially to look at some of the research that's coming out from overseas, but also some of the research that's coming out from Australia. I do think health design in Australia, in many ways, world leaders, but in many ways, we have a lot to learn as well. So it is always important to keep an eye on what's happening overseas while also sharing our own information, I think. Uh, just before we do head off, what would you say is one of the words of wisdom that you would give for people in the industry who really just want to try and make it work and really get involved? in this industry and also, you know, have a long 45 year plus career like you have? <laughs> well, I was very fortunate in my initial placement with it. I ended up with a good mentor and someone who was at the cutting edge of hospital planning and design in Australia at that stage. And that gave me a head start and understanding of the field and the breadth of it. So I would suggest that for a person just starting out on their healthcare design and construction careers to find a good mentor, to work for someone who has the required experience in the field, and also to gain additional qualifications in healthcare planning and design. I'm currently attempting to set up a master's in this field in conjunction with my colleagues at Texas A&M. So there is no master's program in hospital planning and design in Australia at the moment. I believe that it would be of great benefit if we could get a specialist program in that area and have related research in that field. Obviously, the other advice I give people starting out in their careers in this field is to join the Australian Health Design Council and get actively involved in our activities. Yeah, I agree. And I think things like the podcast is a great way of getting our message out, especially for those in Australia and also overseas to show exactly what we can do. Absolutely. Warren, we're out of time, but I did want to say thank you so much, not only for your time, but also for your effort and dedication to the industry. Certainly you are a global and Australian leader in this space. And I think 
the Australian healthcare design and construction industry. Thank you very much for everything you've put into this effort. And it's very much appreciated from me and from everyone else, I think, as well. Well, thank you very much for your kind comments. I have enjoyed my career and it's mainly been my love of trying to find out more information about the field in which I have been involved. And also, to some degree, you feel occasionally like a professional voyeur because whether you're designing a dental hospital or a endoscopy unit or a surgical unit you end up going into the lives of the people who have spent their careers focusing on that aspect and learning more about the skills and expertise and their vision for the future as well so it's always been an enjoyable task and one that as a naturally curious person I've quite enjoyed. Thank you very much. You have been listening to the Australian Health Design Council podcast series, Health Design on the Go. If you would like to learn more about the AHDC, please connect with us on our website or LinkedIn. Thank you for listening.